This morning, we've probably have picked up on it in the songs that we have sung together, the theme of faith and really the desire of our hearts that God would help us have the faith. Uh, I'm reminded of that prayer of the man who had the son uh, who had an evil spirit, and the man cried out to Jesus, I believe, but help me, help me with my unbelief. And we heard this same cry in the songs we sung this morning. But it's not just a a faith that is, is something up here. It is a faith that is expressed through acts of love. Faith that as we see, as we heard in our scripture reading this morning from Titus chapter 3, that's initiated by God. God has rescued us, not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of His mercy, because of His loving kindness. In our capacity to love, our desire to each day do a golden deed for those who are in need, that comes because God first loved us. It's God's love that shapes our love. It's God's love that shapes who we are as a people. So we have four statements that describe who we are as the people of God at Brentwood Oaks, worshiping God, bringing people to faith, conforming to the image of Christ, caring for others in need. And really that's summed up in love God, love neighbor. But it's that third one that I've really been especially enamored with as of late, this idea of being conformed to the image of God and the image of Christ. We are becoming, as a people, more Christ-like in our character by the grace of God, by His Spirit. But what does that look like? What is God calling us to be and to do? Well, this morning we're going to get the chance to explore this a little more fully in this parable. And it's not just any parable. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is what I think is the most famous parable of Jesus. Uh, This parable is known both inside and outside the church. People at least know the name of it. And this parable comes in a series that we've been working through called Stories with Intent, looking at the parables of Jesus, looking at these, these stories, these expanded analogies that Jesus tells his disciples and tells the crowds and tells the religious leaders in order to make a point and, and really encapsulate his teaching about the kingdom and what the kingdom of God is all about. Now, these are stories that are told in specific contexts, and they answer and address specific questions, and we'll see this with the parable of the Good Samaritan. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 9. Now, the Good Samaritan is found in Luke chapter 10, and we'll get to that, but we're going to begin at the end of chapter 9. And this is really what we picked up on last week. What we have in chapter 9 is this major transition point in the life of Jesus, in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus has been up at the Sea of Galilee, up in the north, the northern part of Israel. That's where we get all of those wonderful sea stories. Jesus walking on the water, Jesus calming the storm. Uh, Jesus feeds the 5,000 up there in Galilee. But then in chapter 9, Jesus makes a turn. 
and we'll read that here in a moment, but he sets his face toward Jerusalem, and he starts this journey toward Jerusalem, and it's not just any journey, it's the last journey of Jesus, and it's going to end at a cross, and he knows it, and he seems to be the only one who knows it. He even tells his disciples, we're going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be handed over, and I'm going to die, and the disciples still don't get it. That doesn't match their vision of the Messiah and what the Messiah is all about. So let's pick up the story in Luke chapter 9, beginning at verse 51, and then we'll skip over to verse 25 of Luke chapter 10. So hear the word of God. Luke chapter 9, verse 51. When the days drew near for him, to be taken up. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered the village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. Let's pick it up in chapter 10, verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever, you, whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. May God bless the reading of his word. So here's a question for you this morning. Have you ever been to the ditch? 
Have you ever experienced the ditch? Well, I'm looking around the room this morning, and I know for certain that many of you have been to the ditch, to that place of brokenness, that place of darkness, that place of deep distress. Uh, We see the ditch throughout Scripture. The ditch is really where we find Joseph when he was betrayed by his brothers and thrown into the pit. Uh, The ditch is where we find Samson, who had that fall from grace, and he ended up in a Philistine prison with his eyes put out. The ditch is exile. It's where Israel and Judah ended up whenever they worked against God. They did not follow God's ways, and they ended up as slaves in foreign lands. And the ditch is what we find in this parable, where this man who was beaten and left for dead on the side of the road, it's the ditch. Well, throughout history, there have been artists who have tried to capture this ditch, this moment. Here's one slide of what one artist thought of the ditch, and we can see the brokenness and the humiliation there of this man, more than likely a Jewish man in this story. Vincent van Gogh did another rendition of this, and when I saw this, I kept thinking of that moment of how much work that must have been to lift the man onto the donkey. I never really thought about that before, how how to do that. Um, that was dead weight there, and yet he went out of his way. There's a modern picture of the Good Samaritan, though, and it's this scene right here, and I want to give you a little bit background to this scene. I've actually told this story before. I don't think I showed the picture. This took place the day after my 18th birthday, but I wasn't there. This took place in Ann Arbor, Michigan in the mid-90s. And the young African-American woman there, her name is Keisha Thomas. And Keisha Thomas was part of a protest of about 200 people. And what they were protesting there in Ann Arbor was a rally, a KKK rally. And she was part of the protest. She was protesting the violence and the hate of this KKK rally. But, as it turns out, she didn't really know uh, the nature of the people with whom she was protesting. There were about 200 of them. This man there at the bottom, uh, he's nameless, I don't know if anyone knows his name, but he was on his way to the KKK rally. He had the tattoos, the racial slurs, he had a shirt with a Confederate flag on the front, and he was on the way to join his fellow Klansmen. But he took a wrong turn, and he walked by these other protesters, And someone shouted, there's a Nazi, let's get him. And he heard that, and so he turned and he started to run away. But the protesters overcame him, and they had sticks, rods, and they knocked him to the ground and started beating him. And Keisha was right there, and that protest didn't turn out like she had expected 
and it didn't line up with who she was. And so she threw herself on top of this man and protected him from the blows that were coming his way and gave us this remarkable photo. One of my favorite photos. This is a photo that, had it been done today, would have gone viral, and everybody would have seen this photo, but this was over 20 years ago. I've always wondered, because I've seen this photo before, but I've wondered what was going through that man's mind. This is a man who found himself in a ditch, This is a man who needed a rescue, and I wondered what was going through his mind when Keisha Thomas jumped on top of him there, protecting him. Well, perhaps there was a similar response in the mind of a lawyer who engaged with Jesus in this back and forth and heard this parable of the Good Samaritan for the first time, a story that began with a question of what what one, one must do to inherit eternal life, and This is a question that Jesus seems to get often. It's on the people's minds. They want to know with this kingdom of God drawing near, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do with this new kingdom that Jesus keeps announcing and His disciples have been sent out to announce right before this? We have the sending out of the 72 and their task was to proclaim that the kingdom of God was at hand. What do we do? Well, He's a lawyer. He knows the law. And Jesus turns the question back on him. He engages in some cross-examination of this lawyer. And Jesus says, well, what do you say? How do you read it? And the lawyer says, he recites the Shema. Well, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. We call this the two tablets of the law. It's summed up in the Ten Commandments. There is the relationship with God, our love of God, and then there's the horizontal, how we live life in the community, the two tablets of the law. And Jesus really likes this answer. He affirms this answer. He's pleased. But the lawyer is not finished. He's into the details of the law. He enjoys the minutiae. And so he asks, well, who exactly is my neighbor? And that question, that question is very telling. Why would you ask such a question, who is my neighbor? Why would you want to know? Well, this question betrays something that's going on in the lawyer's heart, because to ask, who is my neighbor, is to also ask, well, who is not my neighbor? Who is outside the scope of the boundaries that I have set? Who is outside the scope of whom I'm required to love? This is really what's going on with the lawyer. He wants to know the limits of his love, something that Jesus is about to turn on its face. Well, before we get into Jesus' answer, let's, let's take a few moments and let's examine our own hearts. Let's examine ourselves And maybe this morning we're asking the same question. Maybe maybe we don't know we're asking that question. Maybe there's some confusion in our hearts about who is our neighbor. Do we come here asking about the limits? Are there those outside of the scope of, of the ones whom we are required to love and to serve and to render help?
Well, let's, let's go back to that lawyer's question. Because entrenched in that question of who is my neighbor is this worldview of us and them. And really, in his mind, there are the Israelites, his brothers and sisters of Israel, and then there's everyone else. There are the Gentiles, the pagans, the people of mixed heritage, people who were outside the scope of, of who he was required to help. And this kind of mindset should be very familiar to us here in 2019. As we look around the landscape, as we survey what's going on in our world, we live in the era of incredible polarization. We live in the era where red and blue politics dominate the landscape. You can't escape it. We are becoming increasingly tribal along the lines of race, economics, economics, and gender. At least it seems that way. Sometimes it's hard to know what's really going on in the reality of this situation. But there's something primal within us. There's a primal instinct for survival. There's a, a primal instinct to want to hunker down and stay within our tribes. And even with all of our technological advancement, we still cling to the walls and the borders of our tribes that separate us from others. We live in echo chambers and we objectify the other. And if we're not careful, this can even happen in churches. We can fall into the trap of us and them. Progressive versus traditional. Liberal versus conservative. Black, white, Hispanic, Asian, or any other category of separateness that can sneak up on us if we're not paying attention. Is there anyone that falls outside the scope of neighbor in the kingdom of God? Which brings us back to this incredible, beloved, and challenging parable of Jesus, the parable of the Good Samaritan, a parable that shatters the expectations of this lawyer in this story of the Good Samaritan. We can assume that the man who was beaten down by the robbers was a Jewish man, which makes the, the actions of the religious elite that much more heinous. When the priest and the Levite Pass by on the side of the road. The text says they saw this man. Now why did they pass by? We don't know. There was some purity laws about not touching a dead corpse, and they would have been unclean, but when you measure that against what they're called to do in loving your fellow man, what they did was an atrocity. It was an atrocity of justice to pass by on the other side of the road and render aid. But the one that does render aid is the Samaritan. The person of mixed heritage. The Samaritans were, they were descendants of the northern tribes of Israel. And in, the, in one of the great deportations, these were the ones who mixed with the Assyrians, the Assyrian Empire. And so the Samaritans were not pure bloods. They were not pure Jews, 
These are the ones who did not believe and recognize that Jerusalem was the center of the faith. These are the ones who were viewed as the, from the Jewish people's perspective as dogs, so much so that whenever the Jews would go on long trips between Jerusalem and Galilee, they would avoid those Samaritan villages. They would go the long way around. If you look at your map, they would skirt those Samaritan villages. Even the, the lawyer here at the end of this parable, when, when Jesus says, well, who was the neighbor? He can't even bring himself to say Samaritan. Did you notice that? He said, the one who showed mercy. He couldn't even, he couldn't even say it. Samaritan. We get a taste of the hostility between the Jews and the Samaritans at the end of chapter 9, what I read earlier, when the Samaritans didn't welcome Jesus, his disciples, James and John, who are called, their nicknames are sons of thunder, for good reason. They say, Jesus, can we call down fire upon these people and consume them? And I think if Jesus had said yes, James and John would not have been disappointed in his answer there. So that's a little background on Samaritans. Jesus tells this lawyer the shocking story of the dog, the less than, the other in Jewish society being the one who was a true neighbor. But these are stories with intent and that shock value. Jesus tells these stories not just for shock value alone. Jesus is doing something here and what he's doing is he's taking that lawyer to the ditch. I had an interesting conversation partner in one of the readings this week. A man named David Garland brought up this point. He, he asked the question, well, the original hearers of this story of the Good Samaritan, the lawyer and the Jews who would hear this, with whom would they identify in the story? Which person would they identify with? Well, they wouldn't have identified with the religious elite, the priest and the Levite. They certainly wouldn't have identified with the Samaritan. Who's left? But the Jewish man in the ditch. Jesus has taken the lawyer to the ditch. He's taken them to that place where he is the victim and he's turning that question of who is my neighbor on its, on its head, where really he's asking, once you find yourself in the ditch, is there anyone that you would push away who's trying to help you? Is there any hand that you would shun, the, one, the hand that's being extended to you, pulling you out of the pit? Is there anyone, when you were at your last, on your last leg, where you say, no, thank you? And when Jesus takes this man to the ditch, he's taking all of us to the ditch. And he's reminding us of the plight of humanity. Every last one of us is in the ditch. Every last one of us has been beaten down and left for dead in the ditch because of the devastating effects of sin on this world. We feel those effects. And we're in a place where we need rescue. Everyone's in the ditch. And when everyone is in the ditch, can we really draw the lines around who we love. Well, we can't. There's no one outside of the scope of our love because there's no one outside of the scope of the love of Christ, our rescuer, the one in whose image we are being conformed to from one degree of glory to the next by the power of the Spirit.
So again, the question, who is my neighbor? Keisha Thomas knew. She was part of that protest. But when things went awry, she saw her enemy, this man who treated her less than. She saw him in a ditch, and she threw herself on top of him to protect him. This is a powerful, powerful act of transformation. It's transformative. The person who took this picture was a woman, and in a recent interview she said, I think about this all the time, and that incident has made me a better person. I think if Keisha could have jumped on this person, protected him, well, surely I can extend love and grace to my fellow man. Even 25 years ago, this was having a pretty huge impact on the people involved in this story. Months after this happened, Keisha was at a restaurant, just eating with a friend, and this young white man came up to her and just said, thank you. And she said, well, what are you thanking me for? And he said, thank you. Thank you for what you did for my father. And I wonder if that was a moment whenever a cycle of hate was being broken. Whenever a cycle of hate was being broken, not by violence, not by more hate, not by a thirst for revenge, but by a woman who took the words of Jesus seriously. By a woman who offered the world a witness of what it means to love your neighbor. Are we confused this morning about who our neighbor is? If you are, then it's probably time to take a trip into the ditch. To go to that place of vulnerability. To go to that place of brokenness. To go to that place where you're beaten down and left half dead on the side of the road and to ask yourself, is there any hand that I would reject who's offering me help out of this ditch? We're going to take a few moments of silence and I would like for us to answer that question in our own hearts and our own minds. Is there a group of people when we search deep down that we view as less than that stir up feelings of anger and distrust and disgust. Think about that for a moment. If you're able to identify this person with whom you'd have a hard time receiving help, I would suggest that you've probably found your neighbor. So now... By the power and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who laid down his life even for those who are trying to kill him, may he empower us to be the good neighbors to those whom God has placed in our path. May we, by the Spirit that is within us, the Spirit that is helping us being conformed to the image of Christ, may the Spirit help us internalize this parable of the Good Samaritan and, of course, go and do likewise. We have a song of invitation now, if you'd like to respond to the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has come into this world, who has rescued us, who has repaired 
so much of the fallenness and brokenness within each of us already as we move toward the day when God will make all things new. If you'd like to respond to that good news, we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.